Welcome back to the McCann Dogs Podcast, Season 3, Episode 7. And we are going to talk about dogs being stubborn, which is not heaven. <laughs> which is what? Not heaven. Oh, okay. It rhymes with seven. I don't know. That was probably the worst one yet, but that's okay because Ken's were always really, really good and dorky. So I have I, I have big shoes to fill. <laughs> good, All job. Right. good job. Good <laughs> job. We are going to talk about the word stubborn as it pertains to dogs. And if you were unlucky enough to get one of those stubborn dogs, how you're going to deal with it. I'm just kidding, of course. Uh, we are very much <laughs> of the mindset that dogs are not stubborn. Um, there are some stubborn tendencies in dogs that we breed into them because those benefit us as humans. For example, I would say a Jack Russell Terrier should be stubborn when it comes to going into a uh, little burrow and taking on vermin head on. If they were not stubborn about that and staying there, holding their ground with a hissing rat in their face, they probably would not make good terriers. And as maybe an example. even the word determined is better than stubborn. Determined is actually a much better like word that. than stubborn. Absolutely. 100%. Um, we do not, you know, we're talking lightly, of course, but we do not believe that dogs are stubborn. There are definitely tendencies that uh, some breeds can have uh, that other breeds won't have. But when you you learn to use those to your advantage, you can avoid any sort of concern about having a stubborn dog whatsoever. So, Robbie, would you agree with that uh, with that assessment of the word stubborn when it comes to dogs? Absolutely, without a doubt. You know, and it's one of those things we hear all the time when the dog isn't doing what the human expects it to do. They always say to us, my dog is so stubborn. Yeah. And it just... I'll, I'll be honest, it makes me crazy. Yeah, me too. Um, I really, I don't like hearing that about, that people are thinking that about their dogs at all. because it's a negative thing. It really is. And I hate when um, there's an adversarial relationship set up between a human and a dog. to get them. Yeah, where they, the dog thinks that the human is mean and scary because they don't necessarily understand. Mm -hmm. And the human thinks the dog is out to get them, so they're not necessarily as as nice and kind and, and um, good at guiding behavior as they would be if they were just seeing the reality of the situation that the dog is not stubborn, but overfaced, you know, mm -hmm. they're probably living in a situation in that moment, whatever it is that they haven't learned enough surrounding that distraction or that thing that you want them to do. Um, dogs can be their own worst enemies. I find a lot of times when it comes to this whole stubborn thing, because if you got them as puppies um, and you didn't have a horrendous land shark, for example, you might have gotten a puppy that was cooperative and followed you around and responded when you you called them and you might have thought, you know what? This 10-week-old puppy is already trained. He already knows sit and he already knows how to come when he's called. And and uh, those of you that have trained more than um, your first dog probably are laughing along with us at this. We've all thought this at one point when we've seen a cooperative puppy and thought, oh my goodness, well, I don't have to put in any work. And um, tell us a little bit about that cooperation factor, Robbie. Why, why does that happen? How long does that happen for, et cetera? You know, and, and it's something we hear all the time. Yeah. You know, when I teach puppy class, people often come into puppy class and say to me, I don't even need to have a leash on my puppy. My puppy follows me everywhere. You know, and I always kind of chuckle and say to them, well, enjoy it while it lasts. Yes. Because <laughs> I can guarantee you yeah. it won't last. And that's because, you know, it's it's an 
it's natural. It's instinctive yeah. for a puppy to want to follow and want to stay close safe. because it's a safety issue mm-hmm. for the puppy. And we know that. But we also know that as the puppy starts to mature, and usually by the time they hit about 12 weeks of age, they start to become a little bit more curious about things and they want to check things out. And they're not so inclined to stay close anymore. Um, and so they don't listen mm-hmm. because they don't, they're not trained to listen yeah. at that point. And then that's when people start to get frustrated. That's usually around the, around that time, around 12 weeks, I start to see people yeah. getting frustrated with their puppies because they've had such a cooperative puppy to start with. And they're lulled into this false sense of security, thinking that this is going to be easy. And then boom, suddenly it's not so easy. Absolutely. And more sympathetic we could not be when our puppies go from being these super sweet cooperative following you around puppies to normal puppies mm-hmm. <laughs> because we've all been there as well now the um the thing that we know to do as dog trainers is not rest on those laurels when we have that cooperative For period sure. with our puppies it's to use that to our advantage and um elaborate a little bit more on that robbie so you've brought your puppy home at eight weeks and you've got this little window where they're probably going to be a pretty cooperative little thing. Uh, What are you doing to take advantage of that? I am doing as much training as I possibly can. You know, I don't, I don't want to wait until my puppy is off doing their own thing and they're they're choosing to ignore me. I want to take advantage of that situation where my puppy says, I want to be with you. I want to do stuff with you. So I'm going to use that opportunity to build a relationship with my puppy, teach my puppy that doing stuff with me is fun. You know, and I'll do a lot of games where I'm playing chase games where I'm not chasing the puppy. The puppy's chasing me. Perfect. Let's Uh, talk about that for a second. Why are you not chasing the puppy? Yeah. A lot of times people think it's fun to chase the puppy and it is, you know, the puppy thinks it's great. Problem is, as soon as you start to chase the puppy, the puppy's like, "Mm, yeah, I'm faster than you are. And before you know it, the puppy runs the show. So we never chase our puppies. We teach our puppies to chase us. And then that way we use that to our advantage to teach a recall so we can call the dogs to us and they're happy to run to us. So I'll play chase games. I'll play tug games with my puppies fun things. So my puppy is enjoying spending time with me. I'll start doing things like sits and downs, stands. I'll start working handling exercises to build confidence for things like nail trimming, grooming, um, vet visits, that kind of thing. I'll work a lot on response to the name because I know at that point when Mm -hmm. they're young, they're going to likely respond well to their name as they start to learn it. And I'm not going to assume they know it. I teach the name just like I teach sit, you know, I teach come, but I'll, I'll use that time when they're cooperative to my advantage to teach them basically how to listen and how to have a relationship with me so that when they start to grow up a little bit and things start to change, I already have a lot of awesome training. Absolutely. Oh, it's so, it's such a nice period of time to use to your advantage. And uh, we have, um, we have people start with us when their puppies are as young as eight weeks of age in our puppy essentials program online. And we often get this window where we get to see people in that, you know, cooperative period. And then we get to see the switch mm-hmm. flip the flipped switch with the puppy when they hit that first age of differentiation and they start to um, wander a little bit further from the instinctual safety pieces of life and I always say to my students 
know that first you have not done anything wrong. Mm -hmm. This is absolutely 100% normal because people are always searching for what they did wrong. Why all of a sudden is my puppy not listening when they were so cooperative yesterday? And literally it is that fast sometimes. It's from one day to the next where it throws us off completely and makes us think there's, you know, something wrong with our puppy all of a sudden, but it's just normal differentiation. So we get to, I, I say that first and foremost, you have not done anything wrong. Trust me, this is a normal piece of life. We expect it. Exactly. And the great news is that everything that you have done up to this point will make this development period so much easier for you. Because now when you say to your puppy, okay, the quote unquote stubborn puppy that kicks in at that point that maybe goes and starts digging at one corner of the rug because there's some sort of a smell there that's really intriguing them. And now you have some tools to say, I don't want you doing that. So I could in that in that situation say to my puppy, hey, 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 I don't want you doing that. And when my puppy does look in my direction, now I have other skills that I can rely on. I can tell him to, you know, move over here and leave that thing if I've got that skill in place. I can tell him to lie down if I've got that skill in place. I can tuck him pleasantly in his crate if I've got that skill in place and he's driving me a little bit nutty. I've got all of these things that I've just spent the last four weeks building that I can can now fall back on. So if he is, you know, I'm, I'm grasping at straws for situations here, but the cat comes in the room, for example, and my puppy looks up and sees the cat and goes to get excited, I can call his name because I've spent four weeks teaching Mm -hmm. him his name and I have a pretty reliable response to name by that point. So I have these skills that I can use that will very quickly help me to recognize that my puppy is not stubborn at all. He just needs the right information in that situation. For sure. And the other thing to to remember as well, I think a lot of people don't realize that a puppy's brain is fully developed by the time they're seven weeks of age. You know, how many times have you had students tell you, Shannon, you know, I'm going to wait till my puppy's older. Don't wait. You know, because they think it's easier when the puppy's older. It's easier when they're younger and they're cooperative. You know, their brain's fully developed by seven weeks of age. They're ready to learn. Start training them now. Don't wait until they're driving you crazy. Because, I mean, you can still train them at that time, but it's so much more challenging. Yeah. And you know what? I I think that people think waiting is a good option because Mm -hmm. they're waiting for their dogs to calm down. Right. (laughs) And the unfortunate (laughs) part of waiting for them to calm down is that some Sometimes, a long time. Yeah. Sometimes these dogs are not like, I will tell you, Reggie at 14 years of age, I love that dog so much. He's such a funny character, but uh, there is nothing calm about him. Like, yeah, for 23 hours a day now, he's asleep versus, you know, <laughs> as a younger dog, he would be up far more uh, hours of the day. But for that hour that he's up, he's still got all of the get up and go that he had as a young dog. Like there's no calming in that. Mm -hmm. There certainly is, um, dogs start to self-regulate as they get older. So they will, they will put themselves down for naps, for example, when they get uh, a little bit older, because instinctually now they need to conserve energy for hunting. Um, if they need to, if they were free feeding, for example, a lot of dogs would self-regulate when it comes to free feeding. We, I, we were, we were talking before the podcasts and I think I said, you don't see fat wolves out there in the world. Right. Like they they self-regulate because that's instinctual. They know that the, it's not healthy for them to overeat, etc. There's all these instincts that do kick in with our puppies and we can definitely use those to our advantage. Um, okay, so if we're talking about the dog at 
you know, four months of age, 12, 12 weeks to 16 weeks of age, suddenly becoming the stubborn puppy. Um, what is the first thing that you would say to a student that came to you and said, I have this four month old puppy and they are stubborn? What's the first question you would ask them? Um, very first thing I would ask them is the amount of freedom they're, they're giving, giving this puppy. Brilliant. You know, Why? We often find, you know, as the puppies start to get a little bit older, um, people start to get a little bit more lax and they start to think, oh, yeah. okay, he's starting to ha- get the hang of things. So I'm going to give him a little bit more freedom. And what they don't realize is that as they're giving the puppy more freedom, they're giving the puppy the opportunity to make more choices mm-hmm. on their own. And then if we're not supervising the puppy and they're making choices that, um, you know, are things that involve things that we don't want them to do, they're being self-reinforced and they're learning. I make up the rules. I do what I want and life is great. Yeah. You know, Um, you know, and we we talked about how a lot of people wait, think they're going to wait until the dog calms down. A lot of dogs, as they get older, because they've been so, they've had so many opportunities to self-reinforce, they don't calm down. They get worse because they don't have skills they don't have that ability to control their control their emotions because they have no skills under their belt. Yeah, and it just gets worse. That is so brilliant. So not only are they not any calmer, they are usually much more hyper at that point because they have been reinforced for the wrong behaviors because they don't have the training, they don't have the skills. So of course, you know, as they're growing, we take them outside, we take them to the vet, we take them on walks, even when they're not ready to necessarily Mm -hmm. go on walks. uh, We have some pretty hard and fast rules about when we walk our puppies and how we exercise them up until the point where we do start walking them. But, you know, in the interim, if you're not doing training, you're probably allowing your dog to get self-reinforced for a whole bunch of behaviors that are not desirable. So not only do you have to come back from that, but you also have to teach incompatible skills at that point. So you're you're actually making your long-term job so much more difficult by not taking advantage of that window. Um, what is something else that you would ask? So we talk, you talked about uh, having too much freedom and how much freedom the puppy has being such an important factor. We actually did an episode early in this season, uh, might have been episode one or two on can you do- give your dog too much freedom. Right. So go back and have a listen to that if you're not quite sure what we mean about too much freedom for your dog. But um, so now you've got uh, a puppy that's 12 to 16 weeks of age. They're just hitting this sort of age of differentiation. You've asked, they've got too much freedom. Um, What else are you going to ask? Skills, et cetera. Um, I find a lot of people by that point, the novelty of training has kind of worn off for a lot of people, you know, and they're not quite as excited as they were when they first brought the puppy home. So sometimes that's an issue. Um, But a lot of times what I feel is happening is that people are assuming their puppies know what they're supposed to do because they've seen the puppy have some successes, you know, and let's face it, puppies can learn quite quickly. There's no question about it, but then people assume because the dog has done it once they know it, you know, they know what they're supposed to do. And so they stop, they stop being really diligent about training. They, they go from, helping the puppy to be right to assuming the puppy knows how to do it. And then they're not rewarding the puppy when they do do things correctly as well. And there's just too many assumptions there Mm -hmm. and it just sets the puppy up for failure because they're still young. They don't know. We need to help guide them and help direct them. So they understand what it is we're looking for from them. Absolutely. Uh, The different stages of training where we're teaching first while we are managing so that our puppies don't get a whole bunch of rehearsal of the wrong thing while we're teaching. And then we are 
adding distractions and proofing through things, taking it on the road, going to different locations. There's all sorts of repetition that you're going to get in with your puppies that is over and above what you think you need. And it's just a fact. You know, we, uh, I can't count how many times we have people come to class and they're so upset because their dogs are a completely different creature in that environment, of course. And uh, again, we could not empathize more. We've all been there as well. We understand. The funny thing is, is that every single mechanic instructor with the exception of the McCann children, uh, we all started in classes. You know, we all started with a dog and had really no idea what we were getting into. And then lo and behold, all these years later, you know, we've sort of evolved into life with our dogs, but we know how it goes when they can do it in the kitchen perfectly. They can do it at home and then you get out there in the real world and they act like you've never done an a minute of training. And that is because dogs are tremendously situational. Um, Robbie, I- explain that a little bit. What does that mean? So when a dog is learning something, when we work with the dog in a particular situation under a certain set of circumstances, under certain distractions, with enough repetition, the dog will figure out what it is we're looking for. But then what happens is you change the distraction or you change the environment even a little bit. And it's a totally different situation as far as the dog's concerned. You know, for example, you know, maybe you're working with your puppy in the kitchen and you're working on teaching something like a shake a paw and suddenly the puppy's light bulb goes on and they they've got it. They're shaking a paw when you're in the kitchen. So now you're all excited and you go running to the, you know, the living room where the rest of the family is and say, look what the puppy can do. And then you ask them to shake a paw and the puppy looks at you like you have three yeah. heads because you've changed the situation. Now you're in a new location. There's people around, there's different distractions. So the puppy hasn't had enough repetition to be able to generalize the skill. They can do certain things under certain sets of circumstances, but the the moment you change that, it's like a whole new ball game for the puppy. And people don't understand that. And so then they get frustrated. And that's when we hear people say to us, he's being stubborn. He knows what he's supposed to do and he's choosing not to do it. And that is not the case. No, definitely. And it's sort of an innocent way of coming around to that conclusion. And it's very human thinking that, you know, we think that this child understands or this dog understands. And therefore, when they're not doing what's expected, it must be some sort of negative component. But uh, the questions that I ask, very similar things. How much freedom have you trained it? Have you proofed it? You know, what kind of distractions have you put into your training situation so that your puppy can learn how to sit out there in the park versus in the kitchen, et cetera. Um, The fact that they have done it before does not mean that they're going to do it again. So even once you're past all of the, um, all of the puppy sort of training stages, even once you're past that, we get to a point where we get really lapsed about some of our commands in regular life, but then we expect the dog to still be well oiled with that thing. And I, I mean, unfortunately, like if I asked you right now, tell me all the calculus you remember from high school. I mean, it's probably, <laughs> it's laughable. I would, uh, I don't I know would how much s- I actually learned in high school to be right? <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, even things that you're sort of proficient on at one point in your life, uh, you can't step back into them if you've not practiced them. Our bodies are so hardwired towards efficiency and we're not holding on to all this muscle memory that was was for things that we don't do anymore. So sometimes there's a bit of a reacclimation period when it comes to behaviors that we haven't used in a long time. And for me, 
I think of this as the come command, um, because we have, uh, if you've been a student with us, then you know that we have multiple commands that we use for similar things. Uh, we will have a very informal recall command that we use for day-to-day life. I really expect my dogs to respond to their name. Um, I have, yeah, I have very high expectations. Anytime I call my dog's name, I expect them to look in my direction. And if I don't give them any further commands, I expect them to orient in my direction as well. Um, so I use response to name Every once in a while, I use the come command, and that is my emergency, like they're running towards traffic, they're chasing a squirrel, and we're out in the bush, and I need them to stop, because otherwise they're going to be two towns over, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the moments where I will use my come command. So because that's my emergency recall, it doesn't come up very often in my day-to-day life. So I make sure that there are times that I practice that skill, just as a rule. You know, I might once a month, I might do a couple of reminder recall games with my dog. Doesn't have to be a big deal. It just has to be enough to remind him to turn really quickly and that that is going to be a very reinforcing thing for them. So that I think that that sometimes bites us in the in the rump too, where we have a long lapse in memory with a skill that our dog hasn't used and we still expect them to be proficient at it, which it, it really isn't fair in a lot of cases. So sure. practice it. Use it or lose it is very, very real. Um, my next point here is, are you stubborn? With you as the emphatic point in the question. Um, and it, this to me is something that I think we all need to look at ourselves and think, okay, Am I doing the same thing over and over and over again here and expecting different results? You know, mm-hmm. if I let my dog off leash at the leash free park and then I have to chase him to catch him and I continue to let him off leash at the leash free park and continue to chase him to try to catch him, who's really being stubborn in that situation? I might be stomping my feet and saying my dog's all stubborn, but I'm doing the exact same thing and expecting something gloriously different to happen. So um, what's the... What What's the error in thinking there? Yeah, it's all about consistency, Mm -hmm. right? If we are allowing the dog to do things that we don't want them to be doing and yet expecting the dog to listen when we haven't done the training that we've needed to do, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. You know, it's just we're creating a situation where we're basically telling the dog, do whatever the heck you want because I have no control over you. Yeah, absolutely. And um, training is work. It is definitely work. It's not thousands of hours of work, but it's enough repetition that the dog understands what their job is. And it's enough repetition of good information. That's the thing. If you are practicing, but your dog is getting it wrong, they're rehearsing the wrong thing and you're actually moving in the opposite direction of where you'd want to go. So with that, um, you know, tongue in cheek question a little bit, are you stubborn? Uh, I would say, have you tried for long enough to convince the dog? And consistency is one thing. It is so, so important to give our dogs consistent information. But we also need to make sure that we give them enough of that information that they have a chance to build a recall. So um, talk about how we train a, an emergency recall for a bit. It's it's not a light process. It's, it's an in-depth process. It's a very in-depth process. And um, what we do is we start out in the beginning, by teaching the dog the end of the exercise, you know, we don't start by having the dog off leash saying come and then hoping the dog yeah, does. You absolutely. Know, that's, that's just silly. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of people do that. Yeah. Um, we start out by teaching the very end of the exercise, which is basically 
allow me control. Because if you think about it, if you call your dog to you and your dog comes to you, but then you can't get control to take the collar and clip the leash back on and, you know, leave the forest, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. So we'll start out by teaching the dog, allow us control. We'll do things like take their collar, reward them with a treat take their collar, reward them with a treat, take their collar, clip a leash on them, reward them with a treat. Sometimes we'll work sits. So the dog learns to be under control. And then once we've got that going for us, we can then start teaching the dog how to move towards us. Mm -hmm. And that's where that game of chase is so great. Absolutely. We make our dogs crazy about chasing us. We want our dogs to think that chasing us Mm -hmm. is like the best possible thing. Crazy in a good way, of course. Crazy in a good way, yes. Crazy in a fun way. Yeah. So we want our dogs to learn that chasing us is fantastic. And so we'll we'll do exercises like a restrained recall where somebody will hold the dog and we'll show them a treat or show them their favorite toy, get them all excited. And when they're dying to come to us, we'll call them Mm -hmm. and then run away. And we'll start introducing the come command in that way. The person's holding the dog back. We know the dog is going to respond because we've set it up so the dog's going to be successful. We say come and then we take off and run. And then the person lets go of the dog. They chase us. They catch us. They get a reward. We take control. We reward them some more. And then once the dog understands the idea of chasing us to get a reward and they're starting to understand come means run to my human Then we start to, this is where it gets tough. Then we Mm -hmm. start to teach them how to come from distraction. And that's where it can really, you know, be a bit of a challenge, but it's not challenging if you set it up properly, you take your time to teach it. So what we'll do is we'll have a leash on the dog and we'll allow the dog to be distracted. And when the dog's distracted, we'll say, come. And then one second later, we'll use a little popper, a series of little pulses on the leash, just something to Mm -hmm. get the dog's attention. It's not meant to be a correction. It's meant to be an attention getter. And the moment the dog turns and looks at us, we cheer them on, take off and run. The dog says, I know what to do here. They chase us. They get the reward. And then the great thing about this is after enough repetition of come, followed one second later by the pop, the dog figures out, hmm. I hear that word come. Yeah. Something's about to happen. And they learn to turn in an effort to beat the pop. And that's how we teach our dogs to have a speedy response to come. Mm -hmm. You know, when we say come, we don't want the dog to stand there and debate the issue. We don't want them to think, hmm, should I keep chasing that squirrel or should I come back and eat the cheese? Yeah. Because chances are they're going to pick the squirrel every single time because it's Absolutely. fun. So we want the dogs to learn. They hear the word. It's just an automatic response. We want them turning so fast. They pack, practically kick up the grass to yeah. get running back towards us. And then from there, we build distance. We build distraction. So we make it harder and harder, but we build on that success. Yeah, absolutely. And I would add to that as well that before we even get into the recall pop part of things, we spend time teaching and conditioning our dogs to understand what their job is when they feel that pop. So we have spent, you know, preemptive time getting to work before we get into the recall work. So the point that I really wanted to make with that big, long explanation about the recall is, have you done all of that? (laughs) (laughs) You know, if you are thinking that you're going to be able to call your dog consistently away from the dogs playing at the leash free park or call them off a squirrel in mid chase or, or, or when all you've done is, you know, a week of restraint recalls, calling them to come (laughs) to you and then rewarding them with food, you're going to be very disappointed by those results. So, um, 
falling in the category of are you stubborn, I would say that would be one of the big things. Have you really taken the time to condition this dog to understand and be able to listen when those things are going on? I'll tell you a story, actually, before... um, before I got here today, I went and hiked one of the spaces that I hike quite often. Um, it's close to my house. It's a really long winding trail in sort of a ravine-ish setup, low-lying area, very um, very sort of off the road, off the beaten path. And there, it's very eye-opening when you're walking in the winter because you can't take a stride without stepping on a bunny print. So there is a huge bunny population out there in this place that I walk with my dogs. There's lots of coyote poop. There's lots of uh, bunny fur on the trail. You know, it's it's an active area for predatory behavior. And this morning when I was walking with Ned in that area, there was a bunny that crossed pretty much in front of his path. So, of course, he went from meandering along and sniffing the ground and enjoying his walk to quartering to follow the scent of this bunny and just excited and just in that in that state where he's conflicted, right? So I love those opportunities. I take them every chance I can get because I want to train my dog when he is in that heightened state so that I can get listening behaviors in that heightened state. And this is, I think, where sometimes the disconnect happens. We put our dogs into the heightened state before we've taught them how to listen. And then we end up actually teaching them to drown us out because we call them and they don't know how to listen. So they learn that they can ignore us and they get to ignore us. So instead of just hoping for the best in that scenario or continuing on my way when I saw him get into that alert, you know, quartering back and forth and trailing on the ground after sense, I'm working random commands. I'm telling him to lie down and I'm throwing his ball for him so that now he's chaining the listening behaviors and the outlet for the predatory behaviors that are kicking in with focus on me. Right. So, yes, there's this exciting thing. This bunny just ran in front of your path. You want to chase that bunny. But you don't get a chance to chase that bunny. He's well-trained enough at this point at five years old that he can be off leash. And I don't worry about the bunnies because I, I have confidence in my recall because I've done all this work. Right. But it doesn't end there. I can't, I can't expect Ned to listen for the rest of his life based on that time put in. So I look for these opportunities in my day-to-day life. And there was a beautiful one this morning where we got to get in lots and lots of training. And that helps me because it carries me forward to the next stage, right? It carries me forward to the next time those bunnies are out and the next time he's, you know, trailing coyote scent, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just a good reminder in there. So all of these opportunities that you have to train, are you using them to your advantage or are the natural instincts that are kicking in getting rewarded outside of you? Um, And then the final point that I have in the are you stubborn category here is have you consulted a professional? And this Mm. is sort of, this is um, one of our, our hardest parts of our job is trying to help people who have taken the advice of so many people who don't necessarily have the right understanding of what they're looking for. And they end up being reinforced by those other people as well, who also have the quote unquote stubborn dogs because they're in the same situation as well. So what would you say to these people that are, you know, beside themselves because they can't, they're not quite sure what to do. Yeah. The, The thing about dog training is that really 
it's not really dog training. It's it's human <laughs> training, right? We know that dogs so right obey on. the laws of learning. Yeah. Every single dog does. Yep. And when we see dogs and humans struggling together, it's usually because the human's not giving the dog the information they need mm-hmm. and the dog just doesn't simply doesn't know how to respond. They're not being stubborn. They're not being vindictive. They're not ignoring you. They don't know how to listen because yeah. they just don't understand. You know, dogs are such willing animals. They're such cooperative creatures. And when, when they're lacking that cooperation, it's usually due to a lack of understanding on their part. So the first thing we need to do is we need to make sure the human knows what to do. And yeah. as instructors, that's our job. Yep. Our job as an instructor is to train the human so the human understands how the dog thinks, why they're doing what they're doing, and how we can help that dog. And there's so many factors at play. You know, timing is a huge thing. A yeah. lot of times people, their timing is is not quite right. And what happens in a lot of cases is the person inadvertently rewards the dog for the wrong behavior. The human thinks they're mm-hmm. doing it right they're not. And then the dog's not responding. And then the human says, he's being stubborn. He's not listening. He's not doing what I want him to do. And that's because the human just doesn't quite have things, yeah. you know, down pat. And then the dog struggles. So our job is to get the human going, make sure they're, they've got good timing. They understand how to set the dog up for success. And then once we get that happening, it's amazing to see how quickly the dogs figure things out. It really is. Yeah. When you're not set up to look at it in a way that is false, you know, when you're not set up thinking your dog is being stubborn, when you're actually looking at the situation and thinking, okay, why might this not have worked in this situation? Oh, maybe there's a lot of smells in this situation. Maybe that fact that there's three kids over there is making it too hard for my puppy. Maybe I am overfacing him. You know, if you can look for the right answer, then you can apply the right solution and you can actually make progress with your dog versus just digging in your heels and assuming that the stubborn nature is something that you're not going to be able to work through. So if you find yourself um, saying, I've tried everything and you haven't actually been to a professional, you probably are missing some of the great ways that you can make improvements with your dog. And when you think about it, you know, a dog that is labeled as being stubborn is actually a dog that's struggling. It's a dog that needs help. Yeah. Yeah. And if we can be realistic about what we're looking at, we can help them. And then we can be great leaders for them Mm -hmm. instead of being adversarial and just assuming that they're being stubborn and there's no way around it. All righty. Well, I think that that was a really good discussion, Robbie. I hope that um, I hope that people have a little bit more insight into what uh, they might assume is stubborn behavior mm-hmm. with their dogs. And on that note, if you're looking for more personalized feedback for you and your dog, consider joining us in any of our online programs. We have programs for puppies that are as young as eight weeks of age. We have programs for puppies before they even come home. We've got a great puppy prep guide uh, that will help you develop everything ahead of time so that you can go into it uh, with eyes wide open and the setup in place and know exactly how you're going to progress with your puppy. And on that note, I'm Shannon. I'm Robbie. Happy training. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the McCann Dogs podcast. And if you'd like some more training resources, be sure to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at McCann Dogs. And if you'd like to train with us online, be sure to check out the show notes below for our My Dog Can online training program, where we know in just a few weeks, your dog will become a well-behaved family member. 
Until then, happy training.